0: This What's Trending conversation is brought to you by Henley Business Radio. And it worries me what's happening to people's minds as well, because this, this is this massification and mollification
1: of yeah. themselves. It's globalisation, it's just this homogeny that's that's going you know, around and you're just going, well, it's we don't want that. And you've got that, views so. on fashion as well, haven't you? Yeah, that's, it's history, and, and yeah. even as a person in trends, I think fashion trends is a quaint little relic of the 20th century. Yeah.
0: Like <laughs> Kyrgyzstan, because it...
1: it doesn't really matter. So, you know, when I, I read the stuff that's coming out of kind of glossy magazines uh, that this print is in and that color's in, I just go it's not total crap. You know, when I was in, in magazines, even then I had the kind of the deja vu thing. And I remember distinctly because we, the team put, put L Magazine together, we, was, we were buying some content globally and there was to say a trend of sort of military styled fashion and everything. And then literally a year or 18 months later the same thing would come again and i'm going but didn't we do this and then you know so that's
0: not a fashion that's just a consumer manipulation coca chanel no. didn't she say something famous that fashion is that that which goes out of fashion
1: yes yeah the and, mode and, and, and style and style so yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah and and style endures so mm. and and you can just see it the you know the sort of the fast fashion thing the the way people curate stuff is, is vastly vastly different so mm. I actually interviewed the editor of VAL magazine and she said a very interesting thing because we were talking about immediacy and what is the Mm. point of print media in this day and age, especially glossy magazines, when you've got a three-month lead time and you've got a digital platform. So what on earth is relevant three months down the line when you finally get hit the streets? And she said a very interesting thing. She said, I'm the editor of a large content portal, one arm of which is a published and printed magazine. And that was a really interesting redefining of what an editor.
0: So, so massive activities around fashion and editing, and there's one artifact that comes into the tangible world, which is mm. this, this magazine that people look at, but it comes and goes. So yes, yeah, it becomes a memento almost immediately.
1: So the they're saying, you know, the future of magazines is much more of a slow format, if you want to, mm. sort of better paper rich visuals uh, more of a collector's item so if you actually look at magazines in south africa that's where that print media is going it's going to be a coffee table collector's item that you that you start collecting and and you won't have in that you know oh this is the latest restaurant that's open in this area or whatever because you've done that on digital and that's gone so you have to rethink what that content is and how long it's going to live if it's going to live on your coffee table for for that's a very
0: interesting idea and i'm i'm now talking to dion chang who is Known as the Ideas Bank of South Africa, and I hope that this podcast is going to be something that stays on a metaphorical coffee table yes. for a while. I'm John Foster Pedley, I'm the Dean and Director of Henley Business School in Africa. This is Henley Business Radio, and we're doing a What's Trending interview with Dion. If you check the What's Trending hashtag, you'll find a number of interesting interviews. Now, Dion, you're a fascinating and almost legendary man in South Africa now. Oh, thank you you so much. Yeah. Got your own company called Flux Trends. Yes. You were the fashion editor of Elle Magazine. Yes. You've got an interesting backstory as a South African as well, which I wouldn't mind exploring for a little bit, because you've got a very Chinese name and a very South African, well, not even South African persona. You've got one of these global personas. So how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I'm one of those uh, true global citizens. So Mm. my family has been in South Africa since the late 19th century. So my great-grandfather who's buried in Johannesburg, came over at the age of 16, um, literally in the kind of the gold rush area. So my, my family were not part of the indentured labor that came mm-hmm. to work in the mines from India and China. We were a second wave that actually came to service those communities, which was interesting. So both from my father and my mother's side, uh, they came separately. On my mom's side, they made um, a bit of money here and then went back to China only, only to be met with the Cultural Revolution. So they, my mom remembers at the age of nine, grandparents telling them, "Here's this bag, we have to leave now," because they were property owners, and that was mm-hmm. the the target of of, uh, of that right. cultural revolution. My father's side, my father grew up in Sapphire Town, and he remembers delivering bread on a horse cart with my grandfather. And my father's family were part of forced removals <laughs> with with Sapphire Town. So, so my history is filled with political displacement um, Absolutely. whether even, in China or in, in South Africa
0: even the way that the apartheid regime classified mm. Chinese people as black people for a while I mean whatever that means because it's, it's an absurdity of all that yes the, there, was
1: a, there was the ultimate insult because they couldn't distinguish the different Asian groups apart mm. so they were doing trade with Japan mm. um, so the Japanese were given the rather dubious honor of being honorary whites which sort of spilt into the, the Chinese population. We were kind of pushed no, around. Not and not a lot of honour in o- that. All, all over the place. <laughs> um, so it was a very interesting thing, mm. because I was actually part of, a, a couple of years ago, the BBC program, Who Do You Think You Are? And we was mm. uh, part of the South African leg of that. And there we traced my family history, which was very, very interesting for me. And that was actually the first time I'd actually stepped foot back on mainland Chinese How soil. How did that
0: feel? Because... Here you are, South African, deep South African actually with maybe some Chinese. Did it's, you speak any or
1: not? No, I I speak very rudimentary Cantonese. That's kind of where, because my family came from South China, and that's where Cantonese is 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 still spoken, and in Hong Kong. However, the rest of China, you speak Mandarin, so I right. was a complete fish out of water there. I spent a number of years in France uh, after going to, to design college, uh, fashion college, because I thought I was going to pursue this career as a designer. So as a result, I actually speak French, also quite rudimentary French, but better than my Cantonese. So when I go to the East, people assume that I would speak an Asian language, which I can't. And because I also grew up in Pretoria, I speak Afrikaans and French. So it's a a rather odd mix of languages. And then... I spent some time in London as well, and they also look at you rather strange because you've got a slightly different accent, and they can't quite place you, and then when you tell people that you're from South Africa, or when I was living in France, and told people from South Africa, they would just be a little bit dumbfounded and say, that's not possible. But I
0: remember is. one of the reasons I came to South Africa, because in my sort of late teens, early twenties, I was brought up in a time when um, people were growing their hair and experimenting and free thinking the hippie and post-hippie era. And I met a lot of emigre South Africans, and I noticed that in England, I noticed how they came speaking the language. But without all the baggage of understanding the British class system, the British X, Y, Z system, they disarmed everybody because they they looked like they belonged here. They didn't quite. They weren't entrammeled by all these these inhibitions and whatever, and they could just do what they wanted. Is that a bit how you are? It's like you're this free agent in the world.
1: I'm feeling a lot more comfortable and settled with that. Uh, mm. I think when you're growing up and especially the first times I went as a teenager, my parents uh, took us on a trip to, to Hong Kong and that was a, a little bit of a baptism by fire because the reaction from people, if you don't speak your own language was quite severe. What was a betrayal. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't, and in South Africa, you don't quite fit the mold because mm. you're either meant to be black or white at, or mm. possibly colored So, so an Asian South African is really an, an mm. anomaly. So you don't fit in the East so you decide, well, okay, well, I am a proper global citizen, and this is my global village, and now, after all these years, and doing what I do with Flux, it feels very, very comfortable, because Mm -hmm. that's where we are, and there are Kind of no borders, and you are in this global village. So it's I finally come home. <laughs> if home is the like, it's, like,
0: <laughs> it's all this dissonance is like the grit in the oyster that makes the pearl. Yes, <laughs> this pearl is your creativity. <laughs> yes, it is. That yeah, you, that you, that's, your, a, that's a good, a a good way of way,
1: uh, yeah. yeah it's, uh, yes, I've had lots of itches to scratch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a what's trending conversation. Yes. Thanks for that backstory. That's really interesting. And uh, you're well known in South Africa for being a trend analyst and much, much more. Obviously you're growing in yourself as you go through these multiple careers. Yes. What's the golden
1: thread for you behind all those careers? Well the golden thread I think is is I think I'm a little bit of a serial st- Start-up kind of person or mentality. Mm -hmm. So if I look back at the different careers, I've had so in the the fashion publishing space in the magazine space Mm -hmm. So it was part of the the launch team of Elle magazine South Africa Mm -hmm. And even within that I started editing men's supplements uh, before the men's magazines uh, came came to South Africa Um, after or actually while I I was transitioning I was I was I was a very early adopter of, of the gig economy, so I was, I was uh, doing slashy work. I was doing the magazine work, and then I joined Lucilla Boysen, who was also starting up Southland Fashion Week. So there was another startup up there. Mm-hmm. So I was there at the embryonic stages of um, SA Fashion Week, starting that out, and that's when I dis- discovered or thought that, well, there is that thread in it, and uh, without knowing it, I also decided to start Flux Trends. Um, as a. It started as a as an information distillation service. So I say to people, well, look, I've, I've run the company now for 10 years, but 10 years ago, trends weren't really trendy. So it was also starting something that was quite new that people didn't understand. And then I pivoted again, sort of five years into, into the business, because everybody was doing what most research companies do, which is consumer mindset right. um, for that, the retail or advertising industry. And I wanted to pivot into trends as business strategy. So the strategic part of business was what really interested me. And obviously, I caught the wave at the right time because technological disruption was just starting to, to happen. So by the time people and, and, and different industries were, were realizing that, that a lot of tech was, was changing the, whatever game they were in, we were quite firmly entrenched in that and it started building a reputation of, of understanding trends. As a business strategy, and I think what was interesting in terms of business terms was the stuff that we tracked wasn't just consumer mindset, but it was sort of fundamental operational issues of of how companies are formed or were Mm -hmm. formed in the 20th century, so corporate structure, the labor laws, all of those kind of things which are being dismantled by technology, by a sharing economy, by a gig economy, all of these things that were were starting to affect that. And that really, really fascinates me, You know more so than the sort of pop culture trends and everything, although I think those are, are interesting. And what I've realized is the stuff that we track or the, the methodology of, of tracking these trends as a business strategy has become really important to businesses, whereas I think five, ten years ago, it was the soft stuff that didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But all of these things have now sort of come into it everything from brands having to be politically active or politically aware or or show their true colors to the ecosystems and, and hybrid skills you need to actually run a business in a new old order with all of this new tech that's coming in. But there's an interesting story within that as well and we'll come back to the detail of what you're saying in
0: a second but you seem to have started off by seeing trends earlier than other people like with your L Man magazine yes. but not capitalizing on them but being so early you couldn't make something of it almost and other competition came in and took over. Yes. And then you seem to move into becoming more and more astute about innovation and trend seeing and finding ways to commercialize and, and concretize them and, and make these into operational models that you can use as businesses so now you've gone from these early experiments into creating an organization that actually is viable and sustainable and futuristic
1: yes and so that's very interesting and i'm that's now I'm looking that. for the next the next thing I'm now because sure <laughs> 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 i get bored quite easily so so
0: that takes this to what's trending in your mind. So this, what is this next thing that you're looking at?
1: Well, we're busy researching. We're about to just release this uh, report. We we did something on retail about four or five years ago. This is just when online was just starting and, and e-commerce was, was raising its head and people were not quite sure of that. So we, we explored that. Now this is a sort of the second iteration of that. And there's just globally, uh, South Africa is, is not immune to it, but just globally you're just seeing they're either calling it retail... Armageddon or retail, a retail apocalypse, um, mallageddon. the malls are dying out uh, as well. But uh, it, we delved into this and what I've learned now is that there's a perfect storm that is brewing for, for for the retail sector. A lot of people say, well, it's just a bad economy. I say that, yes, that's a, a very large element of it, but it's not the, uh, the only part of it. You're getting a complete changed consumer mindset where people want experiences, so mm-hmm. less stuff, more stories. So you, right. you, you're you spending it on, on food, you're spending it on travel uh, rather than, than doing that. Um, there's impact of online. And a lot of people say, well, that's just such a small thing in South Africa. And that's when I point out, well, in, in America, South Africa maybe one, 1% one percent of turnover. In America, it's only 8 to 10%. But it's not only the the actual purchasing of goods it changes your whole behavior everybody now does a pre-shop and you start researching online which means there's an impact on how you amble about in shops or go strolling about and window shopping and coupled with that is people just don't have time so a
0: family day out at the mall where you're seeing people wandering around
1: exploring
0: entertaining themselves (laughs) by seeing all the things they could buy and having a meal in the yeah. In the E 3 section. That's dying out, you say? It's
1: all dying out. So one of the things that, that I've been writing about is the last mile specifically of retail getting the goods to that customer, that has changed dramatically. So everything from what seemed very futuristic drone delivery services, which is is, is going to happen, to your on demand food services. And and you see how that also plays you see, out. Uber Eats your your yeah. Uber Eats just in South Africa, you've got something called Wazapa. So if you say make a killer briani you pimp that out and it's an on-demand food so, so that's your speciality you do that there's another company called YouCook they slice everything up for you into whatever you need to do it so you basically assemble the food I've been living on that for the
0: last three months <laughs> my
1: wife's big on that yeah. so yes so, so you know all of these things have changed and, and even if you look at the depressed economy your 1% are going to go and eat at your new fancy restaurants that are still opening up with complete abandon in, in, in Johannesburg. Mm. And then you've got people who are saying, well, I can't really afford to eat out, but then I'll use the takeout as my eat-in option. So that's a different treat. So, so on so many different tiers, you're just getting this, these storm clouds brewing for, for retail. And even if you look internationally, that was one curveball that I didn't expect. So, for example, the big department stores in France because of the terrorist attacks, you've got, say, a department store like Galleries Lafayette or Printemps would have five entrances on the ground floor. All of those entrances are locked bar one, which means you have to funnel through one entrance, uh, which is very heavily security monitored and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But it's also just it's just another psychological barrier of actually going to shop and, and doing those things. So there's a, a big change in the big very large elephant in in the room and in South Africa's uh, landscape is the malls. The actual concept of a mall as a hub of entertainment, as a hub of shopping, as a food court that you go and eat there, that is all fast becoming very obsolete. But I often hear these trends, people saying, you know, we're not going to have paper
0: anymore, we're not going to have malls anymore, shopping is dead, retail is dead, whatever it is. How much of that is rhetoric and another set of trends being portrayed by a trend through, hunter, yes. <laughs> to, to, to create some interest. And how, and, and how much is real? Because people don't change that rapidly, surely. The mass of people don't change that rapidly. or well, we don't change that rapidly. We think we do, We, we, yes. we read, but the, the touch, the feel, the experience is changing. So is it that it's moving towards online, or is it just a different
1: way of shopping?
0: It's, a, it's richer, it's, it's more
1: personal. Yes, we, we've named our report once more with feeling, the new rules of retail. So we're not saying that there is a retail Armageddon, we're saying that there are completely new rules and we haven't adapted to those new rules. So a lot of the little case studies are really interesting. So it's extending the, the functionality of your store, extending the, the services. So there's What does that mean, extending the functionality? So what, what, if I had a shop, what would yes. I be doing to do that? So, for example, oh, there's, there's, there's so many streams. So, so firstly, mm. you're the digitized side of it. Um, right. There's a commercial tipping point of social commerce. So, we, we understand e commerce and buying online, but your social media platforms are starting to blend into another business arm. So, so I'm you, you,
0: I've got a friend called Debbie.
1: Yes. She runs an organic emporium here. So, she's
0: <clears throat> very keen on organic food, yes. very dedicated, very purist. And she's got a nice shop. Now, let's take but, that shop and say, what can we do to get that shop to fit into
1: the new trends? Right. What's she, she got to do? So firstly, visual social media platforms, because it's, uh, okay. it's a perfect thing, and it's a food. It's, it's part of the food mm-hmm. sector, which is booming, so you really got to make sure you do that. What is interesting, I'm seeing a lot of concepts that are not new. They're not groundbreaking new. I saw them surface about three or four years ago, mm-hmm. but they've been refined, and they've, they're now embedded. So for example, subscription boxes. Anything from the big boom is men's grooming products. The men's market is, is really grooming, uh, booming for that. But also with your organic vegetables. So or that means like you pay a subscription month, and, people and you deliver get stuff to you your get delivered. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. the, but that's the crux. It's mm-hmm. delivered to you. Mm-hmm so the other parts of it if i just step away from food quickly you're getting a lot of companies that are actually putting small little capsule wardrobes for mostly female business travelers in their hotel rooms so you're on a business trip and you are invited to a fancy dinner you don't have anything there they've got a little selection there for you and it literally is a room service menu but if a clothing menu that you can buy and you can do that. Excellent idea. It is excellent idea. Yeah. So that's what I mean about extending the... the, the, the sort of, and curated yes. and
0: cool in the context. So, exactly. So if you're in
1: a different country, it works in a country. And then there's a, there's a different hybrid in terms of real estate and hmm. time. Hmm. So <clears throat> a lot of people are say a restaurant is sort of seeing hmm. that they're open for, for lunch and possibly dinner. But when they're setting up for lunch, you've got the entire morning where the restaurant is sitting empty. Yeah. So some restaurants have decided they're going to join the gig economy and create that space for your transient workforce that can come in and use it like a coffee shop, a coffice and do your work mm-hmm. there. So you're utilizing your real estate in a much better way and a very, very crafty way as well. So you, you just… That's how like yield management on an airport Exactly. exactly. Like yield yeah. management space, your multipurpose mm-hmm. space. And, and then also wow. time as well. So some of the museums in, in the UK are offering adult sleepovers. So you actually go and see how people set up the exhibitions. There's talks in the evening, and you bed down under the... So you're sitting under a a mummy? Yes, or a big dinosaur, yeah. (laughs) With your mummy? Yes. (laughs) With the whole family.
0: So what's the characteristic that we need to nurture to be able to capitalize on these changes because it's not about standardization and sort of monolithic thinking no
1: and agility and imagination and it's and it is and i say unfortunately carefully because unfortunately means a huge fragmentation of your services i think i think the notion of selling a product Hmm. is gone you selling a service and a solution your product is linked to that service or solution but just that little shift means you've got to rethink how you do things. So you're not having a pure product or a pure service,
0: you're getting sort of service intensive products yes so products let's, go back to your, let's go back That's to something. your let's go back to your friend's shop yeah. so
1: you're yeah. not just selling the organic product but you are linking a service onto that and part of the research we put out is also education so mm-hmm. you're saying i'm selling this organic vegetable or, or, or whatever it is here's how you can cook it or we'll invite you to to do a tasting session and, and do that so you're extending that as a as an as an event but then if you want it then we'll also deliver it to you so you with you, a with a
0: you know, a URL for a little video instruction, exactly, or, or a podcast, about, and
1: yeah. and pretty soon it will be delivered either by a terrestrial robot or, a, or a, <laughs> or a drone. So, so it's it's all of those kind of things. So it's really rethinking what your purpose is. I, I've come okay. across that word in business, and it's growing and growing and growing. Is interrogate what is the purpose of your brand or your business? And I'd be very hard pressed if you haven't found that your Purpose has tweaked or shifted in the last three years. I'll give you an example. So Domino's Pizza is trying to to deliver by a robot, by a drone. And everyone says, "Ah, oh, this is just these are just gimmicks." And I'm saying, "No, it's a it's a redefinition of the purpose." Yes, you're in the pizza business, but Domino's purpose is to deliver you a piping hot pizza at your door exactly different, exactly different so it's a change it's a change thing it's not your function as a pizza uh, business but it's a it's a different purpose that you you're going to go for and it's those little nuances which i think are, are are what's important for modern businesses now so that's a retail
0: trend you're mm. noticing so what other trends uh, is your extremely observant mind the most
1: frequent question i get asked is so what is going to happen to our jobs when the machines mm. have risen and i say well the machines are already rising, and we're actually just grappling to speak to them. So we're learning the language of the machines, which is AI, chatbots, and intelligent personal assistants, of which I have one in my in my kitchen, which is uh, rather fun. And mm-hmm. and I do. so I've got Google Home. So there's, there's different ones. There's uh, Amazon's uh, one is called Echo. The persona mm-hmm. is Alexa. If you uh, got an iPhone, you've got Siri. This one, Google Home, you just say, hey, Google, I'm a 702 listener, so tune into 702 when i walk in there or i'm busy with a recipe and i'm like uh, so how long does it take to cook whatever and it will just tell you it syncs up with my google ecosystem so i'll say what are my appointments for today and when's the next time i'm flying and it will just tell you all of that the fascinating
0: thing about this is is that we'll come back to jobs in a second but the adoption rate for these things is rapid rapid because what was Bizarre and futuristic. One year is five years accepted, but now that five-year period has yes. gone down to five months or five weeks. You're so rapidly taking it for granted that when when services. I started yeah.
1: when I started Flux and started tracking trends, you know, people would say, "Well, what's the lag between trend coming to to Africa or South Africa?" And you know, that used to be about two years. Now you're starting to see that condensed to six months. Sometimes there's trends that leapfrog, depending on if you're in. The, the mobile space or the mobile payment space or banking mm. space in, you know, in Africa. So it's really, it's condensed so much and it's moving so fast. So for example, these IPAs, so I, I introduced uh, at, at a talk, the one lady that was in the audience said, um, somebody's going to America, I told them, you cannot come back without the, the Google Home IPA. Someone brought it home for them and they said, the fascinating thing about it is their three or four-year-old daughter is starting to speak to the IPA. And we forget that at three or four years old, you can't read or write. But there's already a communication and asking this, you know, what is that? What is that? How many stars are there in the galaxy? It's so part of the education process. Yeah. And that child can't read or write. So that's a, it's going to have a huge impact.
0: Like the touchscreens, because suddenly kids could play with touchscreens that learn to type. So their mm. interfaces are changing. Mm. So you've got a rapid adoption and you've got interfaces changing. They're becoming more natural and easy to use. And that's a benign effect, we hope, of of technology. But you talked about the changes in jobs. So everyone's asking, I think, what are the jobs we prepare our kids for? Well, maybe not even the jobs. What do we prepare our kids' minds for and and skills? What do we need to have? Now, I've got a couple of young kids, and I would really like to know the answer <laughs> to this, Dion. Please,
1: it's uh, yeah, they're yeah, going to be listening into this. Yeah, so. I mean, in another report we did about eighteen months ago, uh, you know, I like my titles. As you can see, it was called mm. um, "Now Hiring, But Differently." <laughs> what we started noticing, say two years ago, was people in one industry and thought they had the qualifications to work in that industry were ending up in polar opposite industries, mm. completely unrelated, and saying, "What on earth happened there?" and subsequently we started tracking that. So if you look at the travel and tourism industry, Mm so they've been disrupted, they're still in the eye of the storm, but they're no longer poaching from hospitality, schools, or, or other hotels. They're going to tech colleges, and they, they're hiring IT people because the, the nature of the business has become so digitized. You need those those kind of people. Uh, we've also tracked another company called Pharma Veterans Association. They develop pharmaceuticals, and they're starting to poach not from specifically the medical profession, but from law, from politics, from very, very different why? disciplines. Why,
0: why would they be doing that?
1: Where you bring that product out, there's so many different things that are happening now. I'll give you an example. So when Uber reared its head three, four years ago, mm. they poached David Ploof, who was mm-hmm. Barack Obama's campaign manager in 2008, because they, wanted to, they looked at business not as an entity of we're going to do this, this car thing. Uh, they looked at it as a political campaign. And Uber was their candidate, and so that's why like, they're pulling political skills into skills there and, and technological advocacy skills. and all of those kind of mm. things all come into it. So you're looking at a very very different so, so world. So going back to things. the metaphor of your child, your mm. you know of your friend's three year old mm-hmm. child
0: who's going playing with the IPA naturally, yes, doesn't have any technological capability. But so the machines are coming to her and and enabling her to interface with them. So if the machines start doing all that generic stuff, and if if I say now to my phone, you know, hey Siri, who is Dion Chang? You know, I'm going to get a... There it goes. I'm going to get a whole load of stuff about you. Yes. The knowledge is a commodity or Mm. commodified, right? So we can get that easily. So what do our minds have to do now to add value? What do our children have to do to add value, contribute to a society we're building? If you don't need to have the content, you don't need to have the technological details necessarily.
1: You need to be able to mine and refine the information. So we're in that information era. So if you think about the corporations, our labor laws, education systems, factories, all of those kind of things – Came from an industrial revolution. You can have search capabilities. Yeah. yeah. So now we don't have to memorize all of that, as you're saying. Right. So what we have to do is we have to filter the knowledge. But just finding that knowledge is not the end product. You have to be able to create new knowledge out of that. So and make it what, usable, surely, yes. because in
0: a sense of you've got massive amounts of. Raw data filtered and analyzed into information, which is also very large.
1: But but you're saying you have to search, filter, filter, and then do something else with that. So I'll give you one example. To add value. Yes. Part of the the retail research, I've just come across a a company there. They've just brought the product new, literally six months into South Africa. And they not only analyze data, they specialize in analyzing your competitors' data and yours in real time. So you're actually pulling, so for example, just say we've got our big four or five banks in South Africa. If you're the one bank, you can look and pull the entire digital footprint of all of your competitors and match it up to yours and see exactly which week in this quarter we slumped on content in our Facebook page or whatever. So, So what I'm saying is that the three-year-old daughter is gonna. That is the world that they're gonna have to do. And so I said, oh well, then maybe she, you know you should push them into stats. But then you're gonna have an algorithm that does that anyway. Mm. So it's about how to manage, work with the machines. Which is no coincidence that they're calling all of these robots that are coming into the commercial environment cobots. So that you are, that's your new co co-worker, is your cobot. So it's how to work with that and how. The algorithms and the robotics are going to take the meaningless and root jobs away from you so that you can become more creative with your thinking and doing different things. That's so it. there we so, go.
0: There's two things there. The one is we've got to be able to filter information, make it useful, make sense of it, interpret make it, suspect, it, yeah. make it, make it something that's usable. And then we've got to be able to work with machines in a different way. Yeah, and absolutely. Um, And actually be creative Mm. so we tend to think of creativity as this shuwa hippie thing sitting in the corner of an ad agency with pink hair and punk you know punk it's rapidly rising up to the top of the list to so we we all need it yes creativity
1: and and, and collaboration so Um, this is another trend what you're saying is a need for creativity for everybody exactly and 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 that is why you're starting to see the, the the corporate structures are not dealing with these kind of disruptions very well because the corporate structure is is hierarchical and very very siloed and in this new world order you have to have a lot of collaboration you've got to have hybrid skills which means you can't have siloed skills because you're going to have to overlap on on, but no hang on second. what what you're saying really is that these
0: large siloed corporate structures with so much have been invested into should change but can (laughs) they the point is can they and if they can't, That's how really bad a question. thing is that?
1: Because surely something better is coming up. Yes. They have huge difficulty in trying to change it because how do you undo what, if it's a legacy company, 70, 80 years of, of, of how you've operated? So uh, you've been in a company things. for 20 years. It's
0: had a good competitive yeah. model. And suddenly, through no fault of your own, except you haven't become this sort of hyper-adaptive, yes. disruptive, able person, this company folds around you and you're looking for another job, right? So what's going to future-proof you in that context?
1: I went on a very, very interesting innovation tour last year. We visited 50 top-performing companies in New York, completely different disciplines. So one day we'd go to a 3D printing factory, the next day we'd go to an architectural firm, advertising agency, you'd pop into little retail concepts, all of those things. And all of that, I thought I would go and find the holy grail of of Mm -hmm. innovation, and what I came back with was a different holy grail. It was a completely not what i expected and what i found out from that was ecosystems and company culture it was a completely completely different operating system than what your corporate companies
0: when you're talking about ecosystems we'll have to wrap up soon but let's just wrap up around this you're saying that people in organizations have got to think systemically and understand ecosystems and manage ecosystems rather than the organization so the management of your collaboration Management people who can be co producers with you. Yes. Like your co it becomes important. So this is quite a different way
1: of thinking. It's, and a, huge, edu- <laughs> and it's a huge Our education system does does it prepare no, us. And that's yeah. why the, 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 the new skills report we, mm. we started backtracking and we said, well how far do we have to change things to to feed the future of work? Right. And is it tertiary, is it secondary, and is it or is it primary? And going back to the IPA and the three-year-old girl speak to the IPA, you've got to go back to, to primary mm. to, to, to change all of that, to, to, to bring it forward. So the the, the challenge for, for most or all business leaders and CEOs, any, anyone in the C-suite, is ambidextrous leadership because without exception, every single industry is you're trying to maintain some kind of institutional memory and, and, and knowledge going forward, but you are definitely trying to implement some new high-tech whatever into the company. So you, you've got to almost try and juggle what seems to be paradoxical strategies, but you've got to merge them because it, it, it has to happen, mm. which is why when we go back to the skills again, you not only need hybrid skills with that, that aren't siloed, but you also need intergenerational hybrid skills. Mm. So it's a, it's a really new big melting pot that's turned into a cauldron that you got to
0: fascinating
1: potential. But it seems richer, more interesting. It is fascinating. It seems to
0: offer potential rather than fear. Absolutely. And it releases more of ourselves.
1: And I think a lot of people see all that's that's lost in 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 what's coming, but I'm the eternal optimist and I only see opportunity in, in shifting trends and that's what I think is the real good thing. Thank
0: you. Dion Chen will end on that very optimistic note. Thank you very much for a fascinating conversation. Dion's got a great uh, website, uh, Flux Trends. He offers consultancy and trend analysis services, speaking. And I hope you'll come and talk to us again, Dion. That was extremely Thanks. interesting. Exactly. Thank you and
1: much. Thank you so much for having me. For more Henley Business Radio podcasts, go to our website, www.henleysa.ac.za.